too many years, I hid my smart because smart wasn't pretty. For too many years, I bowed down to my femininity because it, there wasn't a place for it in the boardroom. For too many years, I apologized for being black in different ways that many women of color do. Hi everyone, Yasmin here. Before jumping into today's episode, I wanted to quickly share that we are now having a weekly newsletter where every Monday morning you'll get a reminder of our latest episode and any new updates that we have for our private community of listeners. If you're interested, go to BehindHerEmpire.com and you can sign up there. Again, thank you so much for listening. It means the world and I really hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. I want to welcome this week's guest, Janice Bryant Howroy, to our show today. Janice is the founder and CEO of the Act One Group, a multi-billion dollar global business providing workforce solutions. Janice's entrepreneurial journey started with very humble beginnings. As a temporary secretary for her brother-in-law's company, she saw a need from other executives who were looking for quick and effective clerical help. She saw an opportunity in the market and decided to branch off on her own with $1,500 in her pocket, 900 of which she borrowed from her mother to start her employment agency, Act One. 40 years later, the company earns over a billion dollars in sales and is in 19 countries with over 17,000 clients and more than 2,800 employees. Janice has been recognized on Forbes' list of America's richest self-made women and is known to be the first black woman to own and operate a billion-dollar company. It is such an honor to have Janice here with us today. She has definitely been on my dream list of guests, so I am super pumped to jump into her story today. Welcome to the show, Janice. Oh, Yasmin, it's such a great opportunity to talk with you. And in the middle of so much that's going on, I know you are continuing to be positive, but wow, isn't it great to be able to have conversations with each other right now that are positive and future focused with so much around us? Yes, that is so true. Well, I'm grateful that you're with us today and that we can talk about positive and inspiring topics for our listeners. So I'm super excited to jump into it. So let's start from the beginning. I I know you grew up in the Deep South in Tarboro, North Carolina as one of 11 children and you were incredibly family oriented and you actually credit a lot of your leadership skills and business acumen to your upbringing and really what you learned from your parents. Can you share more about what your childhood looked like and how you personally think it's really impacted you as the person that you are today? Growing up with a mom and a dad who were very aligned in how they saw the future, uh, the values that they held, I think is the greatest gift I've had of my life. From that spring, so much of my early perspective, Yasmin, um, it wielded great relationships, not just with my 10 siblings and me, but also with how a community can work. And they were very realistic people. You might even think they were ahead of their times in many ways, having very deep uh, Southern roots, um, 
old school values, yet wide open to each 11 of their children going out and exploring the world and having different experiences and the freedom to share those experiences back home to explore everything from our sexuality to our faith, to our commitment to the environment, all of these things that are so big in discussion today, those were things that were very normal, progressive, family-shared experiences in my home. And I think back on it, they did it in such a comfortable way for us that today, each of my siblings and I who are alive, continue to have a very open and close relationship with my mom, having lost our dad and um, to a storm. My dad was lost in a storm at sea, you may not know. And, um, you know, those East Coast storms can be quite brutal, and he was caught in one. But, But the impact of how he and mom co-parented, if you ask any of my siblings, they will echo me in that that is the greatest gift we could have had in life. It's it's beautiful. And I know how close you are with your siblings. And a little bit later, we'll get into how you guys have all worked together and, you know, the impact your older sister has made on you. So, you know, huge testament to your family to have created such a great foundation. For- you know, talking to somebody or you've read my book or something because you, you know stuff. I know. Your story is amazing. I did so much research. So there's just so many incredible tidbits to talk about. But your family dynamics, it's its incredibly impressive with your siblings and your parents. And you you talked about this, but you know, your family was very much ahead of the time. And that reminds me of when you were in 11th grade, you and your family decided that they were going to send you at the time to an all-white school where you'd be one of the first Black students. And you've mentioned, you know, you felt so much pressure to come off as smart, hardworking, and disciplined, you know, at the new school. What was that experience like for you when you were going into the 11th grade? Um, To tweak what you said just a little bit closer to the reality of it, I didn't feel the pressure to come off smart and hardworking in the sense one would normally think, although that pressure was there. You're absolutely right. And I felt it. What I felt more, Yasmin, was um, the need to represent my community in a way that the school would believe there are only a handful of us there, Black people at the school at that time. I think we were Black by then, Um, but there were only a few of us uh, at the school, and the pressure was strong to represent the community well and not have the folks at the school feel that by having all of us there in the wake of integration into the high schools, uh, into the school public school system, period, uh, there would be any loss in any way of values or standards by us attending. And that, that was a big pressure. I won't say that the community placed that pressure on me so much as my personal sense of who I was and who we were as a people placed it on me. We did have comments in our community, in our home, in our churches about uh, representing our race well. And if you look through anybody's diaries, audio, video, or written during that time, you may find elements of that from Black people. We had a strong sense of representing the race well. 
And you definitely did that when you were in high school. You did incredibly well, and you actually earned a scholarship to go to North Carolina and T State University, where you say you learned a lot of your adult framing. Can you take us back to your days in college and why you think those moments had a really profound impact on you? Well, first, I got to give a shout out. Now, I do the old school shout out, Aggie Pride. <laughs> So many of our Aggies are like Aggies too, because that's what Aggies do. But I'm old school. We stomp the ground with Aggie pride. Yes. You know? so, so I got to shout it out. Okay. I and love let me it. tell you, even if you didn't go to North Carolina A&T State University, you, if you know someone who went there, you know that shout out. So all my love to my Aggies and wow, what an incredible job they're, uh, they're, they're doing uh, in the school. It's so awesome to be a part of that rich heritage from where those four seniors who took took that standing. You can see um, that lunch counter experience during the civil rights journey represented at the um in 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 the museums in Washington, DC. So at the African American Museum. And so before the museum was even documenting that, think about it. We were living that, you know. And when I went on to that campus, I first had attended uh, North Carolina State at Chapel Hill. And I um, I thought, A&T is it for me. And I love all our Carolina schools. Please hear me and pull for them. Uh, but I had, the, I had the blessing of being a part of a program called Project Upward Bound. And Project Upward Bound, your listeners can look up and see what it was about. But in quick, it was a program that supported young, promising, in my instance, African-American students to experience a college environment with the intention that based on their academic ability, they would in fact attend a university. And my first campus was North Carolina Wesleyan. I'll tell you something quick before I go back to A&T about North Carolina Wesleyan. It was just a few minutes from my home in a town called, in a city called Rocky Mount, North Carolina. And my first time I stepped on a college campus was actually there. And I remember a dorm with nothing but white girls there. And my mind remembers them as beautiful, uh, all American white girls. And I was so intimidated, um, especially coming off of um, a very segregated uh, school system. And they were warm and loving and caring of me. I was not a curiosity to them. I was a young girl away from home and they welcomed me for that summer. It was a summer program that I participated in and that impacted me so, so heavily, Yasmin, that I do think it influenced the great uh, relationships and my welcome of them with so many of the white women who I hold dear, dear, dear today. Um, these girls in that Southern town showed no sign of race to me. Now that was a really, I mean, I can't express to you how dynamic, dynamically 
different experience for me with white people in an academic environment than I had in my 11th grade year later. But these girls were wonderful. My following year, I did Project Upward Bound at North Carolina A&T State University. And that school is like my heart, okay? I mean, everything great from comes from A&T. And so being on that campus and experiencing the richness of the, it was a beautiful campus and it is to, to this date, very beautiful campus. Um, it continues to grow. Uh, alumnus of the school continue to support it. There's no greater champion at that school than some of its own graduates. I mean, our chancellor, Harold Martin, graduated from the engineering school there himself. Uh, Willie Deese, who is heading the development for the school in so many ways and named the business school there. You know, I'm looking to name the School of Engineering there myself. Don't make that an announcement, but <laughs> on it, uh, something I want to do so much in my heart. That school is so rich with people. And to think that uh, as a freshman, I got an opportunity to be there at that time in our history, I consider another gift of my life. And so being in a classroom and one day hearing a professor talk about um, what uh, standards of living were, and thinking after I listened to the data and absorbed it for a moment, oh my goodness, we're poor. That was the first time in my life I equated anything about my family with poor. I knew we were black. I knew we lived in a segregated society. I knew all of the academic things about race and how that worked in our community. I never thought of us as poor. And as I think back on it, I know now that we were not poor, okay? Uh, we weren't rich, but we were enriched. Um, and so A&T helped me to balance what the world would see about me with what I'd known at home and influenced me in a way that taught me, let me just put it this way, at North Carolina A&T, they teach you how to think. They don't teach you what to think. Well, that's definitely important in all aspects of life. So I can definitely see, you know, how your experience in college were such strong formative years for you as a young adult. And I know after you graduated college, you worked for the National Academy of Sciences in Washington, D.C. And there was a moment where when you were working there, you wanted to take a quick trip to see your sister in LA as a vacation. And that trip actually ended up becoming a pretty big career defining moment for you. Can you take us through the journey on how that quick trip eventually led you to starting your own business? Coming to LA was actually planned as a vacation. And many people know this who've talked with me or listened to me speak. Uh, I'm still on that vacation. <laughs> Uh, I, I had planned it uh, as an earlier trip. And in interim of coming to L.A., I stopped off in North Carolina to visit my uh, parents. And during that visit, my dad went out on a fishing trip. I mentioned my dad was lost at sea. And um, when dad passed away um, during that trip, I had pretty much talked to mom about staying there and being with her for a moment. And we tossed that back and forth. 
And my beautiful, beautiful, brilliant, giving, loving, faithful and faith-based mom pulled herself together long enough to tell me, and mind you, my mom and dad, my mom, my dad was the only boyfriend my mom had ever had, okay? The only relationship she'd ever had. And I'm very happy to say more than enough, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, The way he loved her. Um, mom said, go on. I'm going to have to learn to live here without dad. I should start it now. I had younger siblings who were still in school and I thought I would have been a great help to her. And she said, the last thing dad would want is for you to put your life on pilot for me. And so I took my trip to L.A., And my sister, Sandy, was my shero in so many ways. When I came to L.A., I saw Sandy living a life that was so glamorous and um, so L.A. And she welcomed me into it with such enthusiasm that I often thought, Yasmin, she never reflected on. Did she really see that? I wasn't Sandy. Sandy was what we call back in the day, um, high yellow. Mm. Okay. Have you ever heard the term high yellow? I it's haven't. Like, it's like, it's like a black person who, if you don't know them, you think they're white. Her skin mm-hmm. was really high yellow. Okay. L-E-L-L-Y-E-L-L-O-W, but we called it yellow. Okay. And, uh, she had the straight hair and her features were, uh, you know, not flat nosed and as full lipped as mine. And she just saw her baby sister coming because she loved me. She really, from being kids, had been the one who I was her sibling to take care of. And so when I came to LA, she just fell right back into that role. And she saw me through eyes that I didn't see me through. And more than being a person for me to come and learn L.A. from, although there could have been no better person than Sandy uh, for that to occur with, she was the person who helped me to learn myself in L.A. from. And I, I mean, I'm talking to you today as a CEO of a multi-billion dollar global company in great part because of the love my sister showed me when I came out here on summer vacation. And I think it's really important that, you know, I was having a conversation today with someone and we were laughing, talking about being old school, you know, old school people remember our friends, old school people respect the political capital that people invest to help support you forward. Old school people understand that uh, you keep your stink at home and you, you share the world of freshness, you know, Old school people understand that uh, women can be friends. <laughs> you know, I, I ain't trying to preach nothing here, but you know, um, my sister and I didn't just have a sibling relationship; we had an old school relationship. And so, I honor her as often as I can, uh, not just in memory but in behavior, for the things that she and I enjoyed together, and the things that had been taught us at home that she showed me can be practiced in the world. 
She seems incredible. And what an amazing mentor to have at that point in your early adult life to kind of- girl talking about fly and beautiful. Oh, my sister. And smart. Beautiful too. Let me tell you. Yeah, Sandy was really smart. Sandy uh, left home for university at- uh, she skipped a grade and, and, and went on ahead, you know? So she, she had the smarts. Uh, she had the couth and she had the savvy as well. I, I would say she was the ultimate woman. And were Sandy alive today, no doubt she would be my Kia Santa Maine. It's beautiful. And I definitely can see her characteristics in you as you speak and just following you on your journey. So she, she's done such an incredible job and being a mentor to yourself. And I know when you moved to LA, I believe one of the initial jobs that you had was working with your brother-in-law in his office. Tony's you- husband. Tony's husband. Yeah, at Billboard Magazine. Oh, let me tell you, Tommy was first generation. Are you interested? Yes, please. He seems amazing. Yeah. Okay. Because I do think that while the relationship we have with each other as women is so vital to us, um, our relationships with men, with all with, with all gender uh, aspects of how we live as human beings is really important if we are to be successful in the world. And Tommy Noonan was also a man ahead of his time because he embraced women and he um, innovated in his industry. When I came out to California, he had then moved to his last career, uh, which was at Billboard magazine. And I worked there for him while he and Sandy attended a NIMIC conference in Italy. They extended the conference stay into a vacation for themselves. And that's when I got to experience being let loose in an office. And I don't know if you've ever seen the movie um, Boomerang. Yes. uh, With Eddie Murphy, Halle Berry. And do you remember, do you recall from that movie when uh, they give Nelson permission to go out and brand the new perfume. Yes. And Nelson is like, whoa, and so excited and enthusiastic about it. Uh, Do you remember that moment? Yes. That's how I felt. I I had my Nelson moment when he said, oh, I, I... I've never been in charge of an office. What am I going to, and he told me to go for it. And I just felt like Nelson, as I think back on it, but girl, when he came back, evidently I behaved very much like that as well, because he was excited about what he saw though. He thought that I had created magic when really, I think I just applied some old school East coast ethic to a very West coast opportunity. And that's an interesting thing for me that I hadn't thought about before. Yasmin, because uh, the ethics and the um, the morals, the uh, behavior points that I learned on the East Coast made me really well with the opportunity I could only find on the West Coast at that time. And I think that is part of the magic that happened for me in my life. Wow. I've actually never heard you say it like that. Never thought about it like that before. Yeah. Well, it's true. And that definitely makes sense. Having an East Coast mentality with a West Coast opportunity. I I love that. And hearing your story, I think what really stands out to me is 
how your brother-in-law really encourage you to go for it and start your own business. Because I think sometimes we might not realize our full potential and we can have these guardian angels around us, whether they're family members, strangers, or just any really anyone in your life who encourage you and see something in you that you might not have seen in yourself. So how influential would you say he was when you were starting your first business? Well, he was the one who told me, and literally in these words, you should hang your own shingle, you know? Um, and I've thought about that many times because our company, Act One Group, has iterated over the years into different offerings, into different locations. And the idea that Tommy planted in me about hanging your own shingle and the conversations we had around that oftentimes come back as I look at uh, new ventures. Even my latest one with all STEM, it is the big moment in my career that I know everything has led me to, to really, and, 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 and just so you're clear, all STEM is A-L-L, then it's S-T-E-M, science, technology, engineering, and math, inclusive career opportunities for all people. You know? And so um, I care a lot about nomenclature. I care a lot about branding and that company carries the flag for me on what I care about so much is all people having an opportunity, career opportunities uh, in the STEM sector. So um, you got to shout you out for all STEM, baby. Yes, it's beautiful to be able to be in a point in your life where you can give back at such big scale and make a difference. Is well, 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 before that, you can design a company based on your own personal principles and ideals. That's what all STEM is for me. And that's incredible because I feel like there are a lot of people starting businesses based on other people's ideals and expectations of them. And to your point, I think it's so incredibly important that we start companies that truly align with our values and build the businesses around that. That gives you the lasting ability. It gives you the strength, uh, not just of perseverance, it gives you the strength of confidence and it gives you the strength of purpose when you design from your own ideals. Now, many people start many businesses for many different reasons. I don't equate one better than the other. I do believe, though, that if you're going to start a business, you have to go into yourself and understand why you're starting, not just what you're starting. The fact that you're talented is not in and of itself enough to start a business from. It can be hugely impactful to your success. It is not in and of itself the reason to start a business. And if you're entrepreneurial without a lot of support, be that connections or finance, then it becomes really, I think, meaningful that you're starting, you're founding a business from something you believe in. And I'm sure that also helps you go through really difficult times as well with your business when you're, when you stay close to your why and the values. Difficult times won't only be, uh, perchance, you sticking it out. It may also be you encouraging others to buy in. Yeah, that's definitely true and so crucial. So going back to that moment when your brother-in-law planted the seed that you should start your own company, 
You started the business with only $900 of your own savings and you also borrowed $600 from your mother. You know, fast forward to today, your business is in 19 countries. You have over 17,000 clients and more than 2,800 employees, which is amazing. What did the early days of your business look like when you were just starting out? I actually asked my mom uh, not long ago um, about that and if she recalled, my mom is the most incredible woman in the world. What I actually asked her was how she felt about my book. And she thought it was perfect. My mom is the greatest cheerleader, champion coach uh, that any child could have of all of her children. My sister, Linda, uh, who we call Zest, uh, guess why she got that name (laughs) Uh, and Zest owns a hair salon in North Carolina. Yasmin, Uh, I once said to Zest and I am going to answer your question. I once said to Zest, Oh, um, and so how do your, uh, how do your customers feel when they come in into your salon? And she said, people come to my salon because they know that I listen to what they want and then I give them what they need and they, end up winning, right? Uh, She said, the customer is not always right, but it's your job to ensure they get the right result. Do you know I carry that hair salon mentality into the development of technology in our company, into the development of proceeds and protocols in our company, and into the development of people in our company? And that's hair salon uh, 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 psychology from my sister Zest. Um, But talking about mom, I had asked her, you know, how she felt about the book and she thought it was just perfect. This last book that I wrote. Okay. And, um, so the thing is, mom is that cheerleader. She's that coach. Okay. Uh, she's been that sponsor for many of us. Mom does not give praise advice. She gives progress advice. Wait, mom would always encourage us that, yes, we have everything we need to be everything we need to be. She always told us to remember that last part that you need to be, you know, swimming your lane. It's fine to go over and test the other water. But when you're looking for a strategic result, you got to swim in the lane that you're going to hit when at, right? And when I needed to reach out to her for business, she was that same parent. And she has been asked by people, oh, isn't that one of the best investments you ever made? And her response is, I appreciate the compliment, but baby, the investment I've made into all of my children, you know, they've paid off. Uh, Or people would say back when people walked around town and weren't held at home for COVID, they come up to mom and ask her, oh, and how's your daughter doing? And she's, which one? You know, oh, that successful one, that one in California. She said, well, that doesn't narrow it much. All of my children are successful and several live in California. I mean, that's who mom is. And she says it with a much sweeter, you know, she's got a soprano voice, a little Southern lady. Uh, but with no less dynamic. That's beautiful. And I'm sure just having that support when you were going to swim in your own lane and start your own business was massive. Because I'm sure, were you nervous? Were you intimidated when you were jumping into this new field on your own? Um, actually, I think 
I was too optimistic. And I've been accused of being a Pollyanna in my life from time <laughs> to time. Um, I was feeling more like Mary Tyler Moore. Uh, do you ever, do, have you ever seen the Mary Tyler Moore show? I mean, everybody's going retro. So uh, pull it up <laughs> and look at it and she throws her hat up in the air and she's gone to the big city to make her mark. She's got her own apartment. I remember getting my first apartment uh, in Park La Brea thinking, wow, <laughs> you know, um, and didn't have furniture in all the rooms, but had really high ceilings and very old tiles in the bathroom. And that was everything to me. That's the kind of thing I remember from then. I mean, mm -hmm. the nighttime, uh, the fears and the uh, the questioning if I got it right, if I am in the right lane, those were questions that happened for me much later in my career. Uh, but in the early days, I was having a blast. I was doing what came naturally, innovating around it a little bit and enjoying everything that LA, sunny Southern California had to offer. So I cannot truthfully say that the first few years of being in business were the bloody knuckle years. Those came for me when I actually said, I need to be serious. I'm hiring people now. I'm influencing people's careers. I'm engaging in contracts with clients. I'm grown up. This is real, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. I've actually never heard someone's entrepreneurial journey be that way, where the blood, sweat, and tears and the really difficult moments came a few years in. One of the reasons I think I could have that experience of bloody knuckles coming later is because I did have such a strong family support system. I knew that nothing could happen to me that I didn't have a cushion to fall back on in my family. And that's important because none of us were wealthy people. None of us were rich people and several of us were poor people, but we supported each other. I was having a conversation. I think it was this morning. It may have been yesterday with a niece of mine. And I was sharing with her um, that, you know, in our family, nobody's ever paid anybody rent. Number one, we believe in buying homes and home ownership. That's just been a very big thing for my family. Different families have different things. Ours was own your home. My dad always told us, buy a house before you buy a car. Now, I'm sure... I'm sure that Detroit wouldn't have liked him at that time. Okay. <laughs> uh, but he, he believed in buying uh, assets that appreciate it. And so all of us would stay together really close until you got your money together to go buy your house. Um, and so when I started my company, I knew that while my family didn't have the financial resources for me to fail in, they had the family resources for me to fall into, to bounce back if it didn't work. So I didn't do the stay up at night thing because for so long it was me. And then later it was my brother when he came out to join my sister and me. Sandy, by the way, did join my company and teach me how to um, build an infrastructure in an office that supported, you know, multiple people working. And We've come a long way. Technology has come a long way. But here's the thing that hasn't changed. People still want the same thing now that they wanted then. And what's that? 
Well, I think to each individual his own, but on the whole, Mm -hmm. I believe the Dalai Lama did say something that was very important. And I say that as a Christian, uh, people are looking for a state of happy. And where we are right now, many people don't know that they'll get that. They've lost their confidence in love. They've lost their confidence in uh, in a society. They've lost their confidence in themselves. And uh, it's very important that podcasts like yours uh, deliver well, deliver truth, and deliver transparently so that people can uh, see through the veil and understand that I posted something this morning. I don't remember exactly what I said, but it was something to the effect of it's all still there. You've got to believe in you and then go get it. You know, Mm. everything that we wanted, that we reached for pre-COVID is still there. We've just got to take different roads, different methodologies be employed and different levels of energy in order to get it. And it can allow you to think, what you really want because you're forced to think about what you really have to do to get it. I'm so glad that you brought that up because I think there's never been a better time to start a company. And I would say, you know, probably more than half of the guests that we've had on our podcast have all started their businesses, you know, during a recession. And I probably sound like a broken record player repeating that, but I think that's really important to talk about. So people feel encouraged to still innovate and take this time to really think through, you know, what they want in their lives and what they want to create as, you know, a potential new business. And like you said, this opportunity could, you know, be a moment where it really forces you to think about what you really want. So going back to your story, what was it like founding a company as a young woman in an industry that was mostly dominated by males? Do you think it was tougher for you as a woman starting out? You know, it's kind of interesting that you uh, mentioned mostly dominated by males because in the industry, the ownership may have been a little bit like that. Uh, but the talent was dominated by females because it was office work. And back in the day, I'm old enough, Yasmin. I know I look all young and fly, but I'm old enough to be of an age when most of the women, most of the people who were working in offices and admin positions were women. Uh, but I think, you know, the bigger question is what was it like to be a woman and start a business then, regardless of the industry? Uh, there were a lot of women starting businesses, um, not e- nearly enough because of the area that I was in. Southern California, Los Angeles, um, offered more opportunity for women to start businesses, even though that opportunity wasn't rosy and, um, you know, uh, trouble free for us. Uh, things like getting bank accounts were still an issue, whether you were in L.A. or whether you were in Tarboro, or North Carolina if you were a woman, um, gaining the respect of big discussion points. Um, and, and, and let me say that wasn't just when I started my business, because even later in my business often, and this is something that I've publicly said, I'm not proud of. Um, I yielded to what I needed to do in terms of moving the whole team forward. But very often I would gift my intelligence to others who I felt would be better heard than me, whether that was around male, female, or gender of, you know, any uh, 
decision or even being black and feeling someone would listen to someone white quicker than they would me. Now, the benefit I got out of that is some very talented, committed people who I was doing that with uh, honored the need and they honored the outcome. Incredible people work in my company. I think also that they may have felt the shame or the harm of us building a company in a system that had that requirement. Now, today, I just don't do that. You know, mm-hmm. if you can't hear my information from me, then I won't be heard, you know, but there are others who will listen. Uh, but in the growth of my business, I really don't think I had the luxury to uh, position myself in that way in this industry, but I'm not proud of it. I appreciate you bringing that up. And that actually reminds me of another question that I wanted to ask you. You know, looking back at your journey, your company has grown quite a bit. You're now a multi-billion dollar business, and I'm sure you've personally have grown so much as a leader and as a person. What are some of the things you've learned on your journey that you wish you knew starting out? Girl, this is a long journey. That list would be so long, Yasmin. Uh, Let me tell you something. Um, This is the number one thing for me, and I don't care how many times I get asked. It is the same answer to this question. I would have learned to forgive me for being smart black and female at the same time. When you talk with me and as you are looking at me in this moment, you see someone for whom that became a reality a lot later in my career than it should have been. And if your listeners gain nothing else from our conversation that they can carry forward as rich, I pray that if they are any of or any combination of the three, that they learn it and correct it now. For too many years, I hid my smart because smart wasn't pretty. For too many years, I bowed down to my femininity because there wasn't a place for it in the boardroom. For too many years, I apologized for being Black in different ways that many women of color do, whether they know it or not. And many women who are of color and not black do it as well. Um, And so if you're any of those or a combination of any of those, I just pray that you cease right now in this moment. Very often I've taught from my experience that happiness is a decision And then you do the math to make it so. And going ahead and being, you know, for a while people talked about being your authentic self. We don't know our authentic self until we give ourselves permission to stop apologizing. Wow, that is so profound. And do you remember what triggered you in your own life where you realized that you want to officially always be authentically yourself? My daughter, my daughter Kay, some of the best things in my life come from my children. I shared with you how incredible our parents were growing up. I am just covered on the front and the back end of my life. And As I've had the time here in the home with my children, as we sought 
a healing process around my husband's transition. I'm so full and so enriched by the things they've taught me from being way little ones up until now. Um, and one of the things that Kay gifted me was a reminder that I wasn't living true to what I taught her about herself. Now, I'm not going to go into the specifics of the circumstance under which she taught me that. Um, but it blew me back like a gust of wind. Mm. When she, she stopped doing that, mommy, she said to me. Stop doing that, mommy. And she was right. And I don't know how many of your listeners need someone to step up and say, stop doing that, mommy. Stop doing that, Yasmin. Mm -hmm. Stop doing that, Sarah, Jane, Joan, Elizabeth, Joe, Fred. Stop doing that. Stop apologizing for being black, female, tall, fat, pimply. Hungry, smart, stop doing that, mommies, you know, um, my daughter gave me that, yes. You know, before I actually jumped on this interview, I was telling my fiance just what an inspiration you are to all women entrepreneurs and leaders. And, you know, being able to run a multi-billion dollar business with so much power and femininity and grace and confidence when you speak, it's it's really inspiring. And I think just, you know, you leading while being your unapologetic self is a huge inspiration to all of us. So thank you. And I appreciate you for being a great role model to women. Well, thank you. We are all teaching each other, right? Right. That's true. And definitely the goal. So talking about your children, you have two grown kids, a son and a daughter. What advice do you have for founders who are trying to build their businesses and either start or raise their families at the same time? Trying and just do it. You can't try anything. I mean, okay, so I can see you for the benefit of your listeners. They can't see us. But I want you to try to pick up a pencil and show me. No, no, you didn't try. You did it. I said, try to pick it up. There's nothing there for you, right? You either picked it up or you didn't. And so is life, Yasmin. You do it or you don't. Now, the progression does not mean the thing is not being done. Many of us say we try to do things because we don't believe it until we see it. And having the faith in yourself teaches you that it is done you're just progressively bringing it to the point where it has tangibility to it. But it is the minute you conceive it. Haven't you heard me say before, what your mind can conceive and believe you can achieve? If you believe that, then, remember if then in school? Mm -hmm. If you believe that what your mind can conceive and believe, then you've achieved it the moment you gave seed to it, you are now iterating it to a fullest point where you benefit from your intent of it. Does that make sense to you? 
does. And so the first thing many of your listeners need to understand, in my belief, is that they lose the word try because it cripples you. You start to put all types of definition around your progress that can be harsh. Also, and you may have heard me say this, Yasmin, if you've listened or read um, from me, sometimes if I'm talking to my my sister girls, I say, y'all like Teddy P. Do y'all know who Teddy P is, right? And most of them nod their heads and they know Teddy P, right? Some of them get busy on their phones and they Google Teddy P, Teddy P. Oh, Teddy Pendergrass. Okay. All right. Teddy sang a song back in the day, talking old. So you keep taking me old school and I'm moving forward, Yasmin. Teddy sang a song that really is beautiful and it talked about love. And in, in when he starts to really get into his thing, he starts to say, you know, love is, it's not 60-40, it's not 70-30, you know. Um, I would encourage when those, those women, those men, those people who are looking to start businesses and figure what we used to call back in the day, work-life balance. How do you have the kids and the business too? It ain't 50-50, you know? Sometimes it's 20-80 and sometimes it's 80-20. You got to be in it for the joy of it. And you got to be honest with your kids about what you're doing. And when I say honest, yes, I'm talking about from cradle to college. Be honest with them about what you're doing. How do you be honest to a kid in a cradle? Love them fully when you're there. Forget about the um, the practices that don't fit your personal lifestyle. Be bold enough and confident enough to do business in environments and with people who trust your ability to deliver unfettered by the processes that you have to engage to do it, as long as they are legal and right. Okay, legal and fair. Um, many days I took my babies to the office. Why? Because I had a nanny, right? Why were my babies at the office with me? Number one, they could be. Number two, it set the standard for others in that office back in the day. But importantly, when they weren't in the office, if I said, mommy's at the fax machine or mommy's in the production room, they knew exactly where that was, what it looked like. And they could understand where I was and not where I wasn't. If your kids have never visited a workplace pre-COVID, they know where you're not. You're not with them. If they visited, they know where you are and they're comforted by the fact that you're there and you're coming home. That sounds very simple. It is dynamic throughout the life of a relationship right up to your significant other. When we're out of COVID, If you're not working from your home and your honey, who you just mentioned, you have a fiance, you go, girl. (laughs) If your honey doesn't know what your workplace looks like, then when your honey's on the phone with you, he, he, she knows where you're not. But if they visit it, they know where you are. Mm. Does that make sense? It does. The way that workplace doesn't have to be physical. It can be mental too. When you share where you are in your work with your family, they know where you are. And so if you're not answering right away, if you're a little bit vague or you're flipping an egg and and it goes kaput, 
they don't ask you, where are you right now? They know where you are and they can give the support. They can share the joy and they can rub the ache because they know where you are. God, do I wish I had better words to share what I'm wanting you to understand in this moment. It is about us being bold enough to share our vulnerabilities and share our confidences. Each of them can cause us to close off from people we love. We've got to be bold enough to share the both of them. Does that make sense for you, Lou? Absolutely. It definitely does make sense. And I know your mother-in-law also had some wise words for you when you were raising kids as well. Can you share more about what she told you? I was asking her about raising kids and I said, um, my mom and dad raised 11 kids and wow. made a success of each of them. I'm still open for advice what would your advice be about raising kids? Because she'd raised my husband and I think she made a success of him, but I certainly improved the process. <laughs> In any event, she, and, and we talked about that as well. Oh, she, what a, what an incredible lady. Let me just share with you a little bit for a moment, Yasmin, and I will answer your question again. I will answer your question. Uh, I remember meeting my uh, mother-in-law and here's a lady in Yorkshire, England, in one of the little villages who uh, had never met a Black American. I asked my husband prior to meeting his mother as we were on our, our way to her home, uh, so how, sh how, how should I be with her? You know, I want to make a great impression. And he laughed and he said, oh, well, if you're that stuck on making a great impression, just walk a little bit behind me and wear something white. And you know where my mind went, right? And I'm like, I'm halfway across the ocean and I'm about to murder this man sitting next to me on this flight, right? Um, and I look and he was just laughing and laughing. And I don't even try to uh, imitate my husband's British accent. <laughs> So thick, he never lost it all his years with this Southern girl, right? Um, although in many ways, the people just off of an island off of North South Carolina speak very much uh, like the Shakespearean uh, uh, speakers did during Shakespeare's time. But any, anyway, I digress. The thing is, my husband's mother had been ill and gone to hospital once in her life. And the nurses she had were Jamaican nurses. And she said they were the most loving, caring people she'd ever met. And she's convinced that the care they gave her was as healing as the attendance of the doctors. And she talked about it often in their family circle, how wonderful these people had been to her. Um, and today, when you go to different parts of England, you see full diversity all over. But back when I went it was what we used to call Lily White. And I was the attraction in town when I walked in. My husband's whole family were wonderful to me. And so the joke that he enjoyed on me, knowing how highly his mother treasured the experience she had with the only Black people she'd ever come into contact with, wasn't funny to me then. It still ain't that funny now, but I have to laugh at the idea he thought it would be. Okay. Yeah. Um, but Yasmin, I asked her for advice on raising children. And what she said to me was, 
you're and she had a rich British voice and she had the Lancashire accent. My husband has a Yorkshire accent. Uh, but she said, um, your children more attention pay to what you do than what you say. And it stuck with me because that's so true. Whether it's our children, whether it's our beloveds of any nature, whether it's our clients, our employees, people pay attention to what you do more than they pay attention to what you say. And I thought that was pretty good advice put in a limerick that I could remember for the rest of my life. Those are such wise words that can apply to every aspect of your life. She definitely sounds like an incredible woman. So I want to end by asking you one last question. As someone who's built such a successful and massive business, do you have any key phrases or lessons that you want to pass on to women who are looking to pivot in their career or become first-time entrepreneurs? Every day is the first day. Every day is the first day. And What do I mean by that? If you're talking about pivoting your career or pivoting your belief system or pivoting your life in any way, you get a first shot every day. Many of us get burdened or afraid or contained or constrained by what we did yesterday or what we experienced yesterday what happened to us or what we happened upon. And we let that constrict us from how we go forward. I wish I had my little daily book with me that I love reading, um, but I would love to read something to you from it. Now, I happen to be in in a uh, Christian faith but I think this reads well for anyone, even if they're not religious and simply spiritual. Um, It talks about um, going through things, right? And allowing the words you speak to yourself to provide your soul with the hope you not only want, but that you deserve. And you don't need simply to engage hope from a desperate situation. You can you can engage hope toward a positive situation. And the way you do that is you remember who you are and you remember whose you are. Now for me, I'm a child of God, so I work from that belief system. But wherever you come from, literally and figuratively, every day is the first day. You've heard people back in the day say, uh, today is the first day of the rest of your life. It's kind of that wrapped up in a better package for you. So if you're looking to pivot, and today is such a wonderful time for people to not only pivot, but to expand or, you know, or to rest or whatever they want to do, because we're all at home to do it. And I think that like in my own company, I've seen so much innovation occur. Yes. Now we are that kind of company. So work from home wasn't a big stretch for us. However, how we're communicating with clients for whom that wasn't the occasion or with, um, 
our applicants who are the center of our universe, you know, uh, they haven't been coming from that. Uh, so it's just been a joy to be able to innovate outward so others can come in to the progress that we need to continue to achieve. Yasmin, my own team, and I'm sure we're not the only company or only people experiencing this. My own team have said to me more than once, hey, JBH, you know, we've never felt so close as when we got distanced, you know, and, 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 and people are working uh, alternate hours so that they can actually enjoy the Zooms, the team meetings, you know, the WebExes with uh, clients and with uh, uh, employees and with peer groups across the globe. Um, and folks are, you know, dressed from, uh, uh, from, from waist to head and then I'll throw up a foot every once in a while <laughs> to see what's happening below, you know, all of those kinds of things as we celebrate each other, which also feeds back to your question about creating that balance you want. If you have family and you're in business, uh, I've heard people complain about being in the house and how do they do business in the house with kids? The one thing that I've learned is that many clients, no matter what type of veneer they had pre-COVID, are all welcoming the fact that you're working from home. Mm -hmm. And for some people, a home is a, a smart apartment that's smaller than a larger home for others. And people know that. They respect that. And so... Lose the fear of allowing people to see the refrigerator behind you or get one of those computer screen things that allow you to create your own virtual background, right? Uh, some people are so sophisticated, they get the green screen uh, to do it. You know, but however you're going to do it, however you want to pivot, treat today as the first day. Your biggest dream is only a decision away. Wow. So beautiful, Janice. Thank you so much for sharing a wealth of knowledge and just so much wisdom with our listeners today. I probably could talk to you for three more hours, but thank you for- uh, you, got, you got a fiance. I don't think that would be happening. Okay. <laughs> so is it a he, a she, or who? A he. <laughs> you go and you just hug him up. You tell him he is so blessed to have you in his life. And Yasmin, should we talk again, whether it be soon or later? I want to see that beautiful smile on your face and that glow that comes through everything. Um, the questions you ask are so beautiful because not of not what they offer me, but of what they come from in you. Thank you for them. Keep asking those questions. Um, that may be the greatest gift you offer this world is to ask the right questions so people can bring forward all the many answers. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny, and it's never too late to start your own empire.